This podcast is sponsored by Iris Education, a leading edtech provider with a suite of products designed to help schools and trusts work smarter. Iris EdGen is their smart cloud-based management information system that lets schools make impactful decisions quickly by harnessing the power of real-time data. And for trusts struggling to make sense of their data, there's Iris Central, a powerful reporting tool that consolidates and analyzes data from multiple sources into simple dashboards to inform decision-making, drive improvement, and grow your trust. Discover more at iris.co.uk forward slash education. Hello, and welcome to this special edition of the TES podcast. I'm Zofia Niemtis, a senior editor here at TES, and today I'm going to be exploring how the use of real-time data could transform schools. I'm joined for this discussion by three experts. We've got Derek Hills, who is currently the director of IT and data at ARC Schools, having spent the last 13 years working with other large multi-academy trusts as a data leader. Winston Poyton, who is senior product director at Iris Software and has been working in the education technology sector for more than 20 years with educational establishments in the UK, Australia, India and the US. And Richard Selfridge, who is a primary school teacher and author of two books on education data. Derek, let's start with you. It seems like we've come a really long way in quite a short time around using real-time data in schools. So how does the situation compare to, say, 10 years ago? That's a great question. I think the data landscape in schools has changed significantly in the last decade. Um, I seem to remember going back when I, to the beginning of my career when data was collected extremely frequently. And we often fell into a cycle of by the time we collected information and we cleaned it and analyzed it, 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 the cycle had come around again. Um, so it's almost like a perpetual data cycle, as we used to call it. And I think that over the last decade, we've definitely seen an improvement in education technology in particular, but also in terms of attitudes towards those data collections. So you, you're finding typically in the organizations that I've worked in, those collections have become much less frequent. And it's become a much clearer focus on quality data rather than the quantity of data. And I, and I think, and Richard might know as well, probably more than me, he's obviously he's closer to this, is a shift away from an obsession with formative, uh, summative data into a more formative uh, style of data. Does a map lead and leave live, live data? Now, I'd argue that they don't. Uh, maybe safeguarding and attendance is one that they probably, you could argue they do. But did the teachers need live data? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. So when we're looking at formative assessments and the ability for a teacher to do uh, a snap quiz at the beginning of a lesson and to really quickly analyze that feedback and to differentiate and close the gaps within their class using that type, that, that live data, to me, just seems like a great leap forward in the last 10 years. I'd agree. I'm, I'm going to jump in and say that I agree. I think there's, there's so many things that have changed just in terms of um, just the development of computing um, generally, you know, 10 years ago, there was little to no cloud-based computing being used in schools. We weren't uh, in a position where you could use some of the amazing resources you've got available now so that you can do you know, live quizzing of, of classes, um, which gives you, in, you know, instant feedback um, that's very easy to manage, um, very easy to work with. Things like um, paper-based registers. 10 years ago, everybody was doing a, a register and attendance register on paper. So there was a huge amount of effort that was putting put into that. Um, and as I, I'm a primary school teacher, as, uh, 10 years ago, I would have filled in the register 
And then I would have thought, oh, yes, there's a child who's, who's not here today, but I probably would have forgotten about that. And then the child would turn up the next day. I wouldn't really do much with that. Whereas these days, there's many more opportunities for you to actually get um, useful uh, feedback to you as a teacher, as a school leader, as a, as a math leader, as to what's actually happening in school. So I think that makes a big difference. And I think the other thing is that um, you know, there are all kinds of things with assessment, which Derek and I would definitely agree with, I think. But in terms of assessment, you know, 10 years ago, there was very little online assessment. And again, in terms of efficiency, um, uh, the online assessment is, is, is much more efficient than doing paper-based assessment. Um, so that's a big change. I think the other change, though, is in 10 years, 10 years ago, you know, in, in 2012, uh, we'd still had quite a lot of in investment in, in schools. So there'd been quite a lot of technology um, or money available for technology in schools. Some schools have invested in technology, but a lot of schools now are using quite outdated kit um, and things are not, you know, 10 years ago, we had, we had money um, and we had um, equipment. We've got much less of that now. So there's been a lot of change in the last 10 years, I think. And how about some of the exciting uses of data that you've seen sort of over those 10 years? Are there any that particularly stand out as good examples that have had a, a powerful impact? I think there have been a number of really, really in, uh, incredibly important things that have happened in the last 10 years. There's things like... Um, Education Endowment Foundation existing, where it's they use data, the fact that they've used a lot of information from the National Pupil Database and so on. A lot of that information just wasn't available. We're, we're sharing and using information a, a great deal now. But also we're able to use, um, as they some of the things which we people have been able to de develop. So things like um, the Teacher Tap app run by Laura McInerney and Becky Allen, um, which asks, if you, those who haven't heard of it, it, uh, it asks teachers questions on a daily basis, asks you some questions, and then it gives you feedback on the answers from yesterday's questions. Um, and if you're a teacher and you're interested in a particular thing, you can ask TeacherTap to ask the question. They will do so. So things like that where you've got um, a turnaround of information that's much, much quicker than it used to be. Um, and in terms of uh, apps that are used in class, there's, I mean, there's loads of really useful ones. People who use Kahoot will know how good Kahoot is. Um, things like carousel learning where you're using real-time quizzing, um, which is immensely useful for, for just getting a, a real-time uh, data coming back to you as a teacher uh, about where, you, where, your, where your class appear to be. So those kinds of things that have just moved on a great deal. I, just, I would just add a point, going back to your earliest point about funding. And I wonder if there's a danger that as we become more um, technologically aware of what is possible, um, that schools will fall into the trap of going back to the cottage industries of before and building their own solutions and they become more and more unsustainable. And then we start to lose the, the purpose and the procedures that we enjoy in, in ed education technology, the way that they have over the, over the last decade helped to reduce admin burden on schools. And I think maps have been much a big driver of reducing admin burden on schools. Um, but yeah, I think the lack of funding is, is something that, that does concern me that, that we could potentially fall back into that, into that dangerous net of, um, trying to build our own solutions when there are probably great solutions out there, but we just can't afford them. I think that, uh, it's almost offset though, isn't it? By the fact that cloud technologies makes it a bit more, uh, available to all and, uh, and, and some of the, I certainly know some multi-economy trusts in the early days who, who have spent many. Uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pounds on, on kind of building data analytics system that they were at the forefront of what you might be able to do with data right, right back kind of 10 years ago. Whereas now you can go on to Amazon Web Services or 
people like Snowflake and database controls and, and and get up and running. And it's almost that the challenge is what what do you do and how do you do it that that kind of drives that. I think um, I just to add to Richard's examples of uh, some some slightly more entertaining uses of, of real time data in schools. Um, and then there's quite a lot of uh, apps out there that that kind of track students' behaviour and, and teachers are able to put comments in. And that comment then passes to the next lesson that the student turns up to, and so the teacher already knows whether that whether that student is having a great day or a or a maybe slightly more disrupted day, uh, and and can manage that up front in real time. It, it, it freaks the kids out a little bit um, occasionally because because how do they know that that happened with the last lesson? But but again, it's a really good way of of allowing people to be prepared and then and then take the right course of action in real time rather than rather waiting for the disruption to happen again and, and having to deal with it retrospectively. Such a good point. Um, and I love the idea of the kids just being freaked out at the, yes. the real-time data. Um, so obviously, Winston, you know, you've got a long history in this sort of area. Are there any examples of less useful data approaches that you've seen? I think I was, would you send me the question? I, I, I thought of a really funny example that within America, so I think it's, Fairly safe to say on this call, um, but uh, there was a, there was an education company that put a, a big load of emphasis into putting video cameras into classrooms and using AI to track facial recognition, which had two entertaining consequences. One was um, it tracked whether the students were engaged and uh, gave feedback to uh, the the kind of teacher at the front of the class as to whether where there were maybe pockets of disengaged uh, students from the classroom. It also gave the teacher feedback on whether their class was interesting or not, based on uh, on uh, the kind of level of engagement that they managed to get from the from the shin. Difficult to imagine how that would work in the UK um, as a as an exercise, but certainly certainly people have taken it to some of those extremes where they they've started to apply technology almost for technology's sake uh, because because it was interesting or a bit quirky and and it's. And uh, unsurprisingly, in that particular example, it backfired horribly because no teachers don't actually want real-time assessment on on every single class and every single lecture that that they're doing. It's 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 not a very positive approach to uh, to take with things. But certainly, um, certainly, there's some entertaining entertaining examples like that out there that uh, didn't go quite so well. I, I agree. I think again, we have seen huge developments in the way in which people use data, um, and we went through the big data wave of the 2010s. Um, I think the main observation which I would make and always make is um, it's just uh, people who just have uh, fundamentally misunderstood how standardized assessment works uh, always frustrates me because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of work that's done where people just don't understand how the assessments actually work, the core principles of a standardized assessment. So my particular bugbear is uh, is people's use of and overuse of question level analysis, where they look at individual answers to individual questions in an assessment, which is designed to position a, uh, a pupil within a within a cohort, within a population. Um, uh, again, there's a great quote from um, uh, a guy called Wolfgang Pauli, which says that it's not even wrong to do that. It's, it's not that you've it's not that what you're doing is, is incorrect. It's just everything which you, all the assumptions that you've made about about what the assessments are doing uh, are not good. Now, that, luckily in in primary, which is why I work mainly, there's less of that. But we did go through points where people would spend huge amounts of time worrying about whether a child knew what a um, parallelogram looked like. When if you know anything about the way which assessments are done, that's not what questions like that are, ask, uh, are asking. So it's things like that which which are, are, are problematic, and then also. Um, Anything which just doesn't lead to any action on the ground, you know, as as you were saying, there there was a there was a time where we were collecting data, 
uh, and then analyzing it. And then by the point we finished the analysis, we were collecting data again. Uh, and there was very little that actually happened as a result of any of this. Um, and that's always the question you have to, to say, you know, what's actually going to happen as a result of you doing this? Because, you know, it, it's nice to be able to do these things. So for example, um, the, the DFE at the moment have moved to real-time uh, collection of, attainment, uh, of, of attendance data. Um, and there are good reasons for that because of the big shock that we've just been through with COVID and so on. Um, but you do get to a point of, uh, of looking at all that and saying, but what's actually going to happen as a result of all this? Because, for example, in, in terms of um, attendance, we, there's, there's a good literature out there to understand what the issue with attendance actually is. Um, we, know, we know that a lot of pupils aren't in school because they're ill. Um, a number of pupils are not in school for other reasons. It's those pupils who are not in school for other reasons where, where we uh, unauthorize. Those are the people we need to look at. And we need to do some things with them. But, but you might spend a lot of time um, worrying about, rather than just going to the school and say, which of the pupils in your school do you understand um, to have an issue with attendance? Uh, and what are you doing about it? Um, so it's always that, that question. I mean, it's often thing at the moment. So what? And why is it, what actually happens as a result of this? So, uh, so anything where it's just ticking a box, collecting information for the sake of it, that's always slightly problematic. Uh, Winston, I think you were going to come in. I think, yeah, I think, I think the so what test is a really good one. Certainly, um, we, uh, we develop software and we develop kind of data warehouse to aggregate data. We spend a lot of time talking to customers and, and it, it, the conversation often starts with, oh, I just like all of this data in one place. I just like it to be, to be here. And I just like to aggregate it. And, and we find ourselves very often going back to the, okay, before we talk about all of that, what do you want to use it for? What is it you're trying to achieve? What insights are you trying to get from it? Are you actually going to give any time to doing this? Because, because again, if you're not, if you're not prepared to give any time to doing it, just consolidating it is not going to help. And I think there's a, there's a real difference in maturity curve out there on, on the way people are using data right from the, right from the one extreme where the large multi-economy trust have been looking at this for 10 years and are are brilliant at, uh, at the way they look at data and, and are rethinking really about what they can do next with data. And at the other end of the extreme, um, uh, I spoke to a trust not so long ago where they are still employing someone that goes around and logs into their MIS every day to capture a bunch of data out of it, to put it in a spreadsheet, to at the end of the day produce a report, to then repeat that exercise the next day. And they haven't yet got to a system where that's happening for them automatically. So, the, so what they're doing is that person's going in and looking at a dashboard and then making some decisions off the back of what they see they don't get a chance to do that because it's it's kind of four o'clock, five o'clock before they finish collecting the data for their schools. So the so the maturity curve across across education is really varied, and and unfortunately, there's much more in the in the don't quite know what they're doing with with kind of consolidated data, and uh, and where to spend their time on data than there are in the in the kind of arcs and the Harrises and the AGs of the world where where they spent a long time kind of maturing and developing this this process. Derek. Yeah, I was, I was going to slightly off topic and say, I think that one of the reasons why we've seen um, better approaches to data has been off the back of the um, Teacher Workload Advisory Group in 2018, where they made a real clear guidance to, or directive to schools um, that as long as the data is proportionate, that it has good purpose, uh, that the procedures and processes are, are good. Uh, going back to your point there, Winston, about you know the poor practices logging into multiple MISs and dragging data out is not a great way of doing it. But overall, for me, it's the the data accuracy or precision, as they called it in that paper. I mean, without that, 
you you can have everything in place and you'll you'll get very little value from all the effort that goes into it. So as you said, you know, in my previous job and in my current role at Arc, we spent a lot of time working on 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 those four guiding principles. And where do you think the biggest gains around real-time data could come in schools? Uh, I think, you know, I think we've touched on quite a few of these so far. I mean, safeguarding and attendance would seem like the most obvious ones to me. I'm going to throw a little curveball in there and say, obviously, I, everything to do with the pupils is, is, is at the heart of everything I've done for the last 13 years. But I would say an emerging area of the, of the sector would be around um, utilities. And the way that we use utilities, the way that we track our green initiatives as well. Um, I think there's going to become, when the gas bill triples and quadruples in some schools, I think people are going to start looking at, and certainly at Arc, we, we, we've introduced, uh, or we are starting to introduce smart meters into our schools. So being able to have real-time data on, on our usage of, of, of these, you know, what is becoming a precious commodity um, so that we can learn from it really, really quickly. We can adapt quickly uh, to ultimately put our money back into the classroom. I, I think that's um, of quite a challenging, but I would argue quite an exciting development. I think that might come. And then my brain starts ticking along then and starts looking at, can we start linking that back to, you know, how the school operates and their timetable and everything, you know, everything that goes with that. So quite an exci exciting use of live data. But again, I would go back to that where that has to be done with real minimal impact on school teachers and school leaders. It has to be as, as automated as possible. Um, because everything that we do at ARC is to reduce the admin burden on the school. Our role as, as Matt Central um, colleagues is to facilitate, people call it data-led decision-making. I think fair to say it's more, it's analysis designed by the decisions and the questions that you're trying to answer. Um, so, you know, as, as a sector, we, we've got a really good understanding of the questions that we've got. Um, we don't always have the right analytics to answer them. And that's something that we're, we're really keen to resolve. That's exactly the approach we're taking to our kind of data software design is the, uh, yes, you've got all of this data. And I completely agree with Derek. The, there's some really exciting stuff that's happening now, particularly around the energy usage, um, and, and getting energy usage data in there, but also, um, certainly at a centralized trust point of view or at a, or at a school admin level where we tend to focus. Uh, combining bits of data. So, so can I, can I combine, um, the attendance record of my students with how many messages I've sent to them out of my parental engagement at my conversation with how often they're buying school dinners with how often they're, uh, with where the finances are coming in and where the finances are going for that classroom. So, so stopping, stopping viewing individual bits of data in silos and actually starting to uh, pull across a thread of data and that allows you to build uh, we're in the process of building a dashboard at the moment for parental engagement health. And it's not, it's not just about, um, whether you've sent them any messages, but have they responded, have, has, how has that child done? And, and is there some correlation between those things? And, and we've all to, to Derek's point, there's a bunch of questions that everybody's wanted to be able to answer and provide some data to, to give answers to, so then make some decisions to then track, track whether those interventions make any difference or not. And it, it feels like. We're getting to the point where we can do that at scale with software and, and hardware rather than uh, individuals needing to do that. Richard, I think you were going to come in there. Um, thinking about, um, as we move forward, you know, the gains in terms of using data. So I've um, written a couple of books and I now work with schools on, um, on developing data strategies, thinking about how 
data underpins so much of what we do in school. Schools tend to be very focused on having lots and lots of policies. Typical school will have 50 or 60 policies, but actually a data strategy which underpins so many of those policies um, helps, <clears throat> helps you to think about how you're going to manage your data and what you're going to do with that information. Uh, so one of my big focuses is, uh, is moving on to, uh, to an action focus. What are you actually doing uh, and what changes are you making? Um, moving away from progress focus, which is a bit of a DFE thing. They want to know where people started, where they finished. But in schools, what you, you have to work out is which of the pupils in your school actually need some support and then putting that support in place. Um, most schools, most children, they don't need anything other than to be in school, uh, in class, focused and learning. That's what they need. Um, and that's probably 70, 80% of your, of your cohort. So most pupils, you, you need to check in on them and make sure that they're okay. You need to gather data on them and to build a picture of these students. So that let's say in a primary school by year four, year five, you should have four, four five, six years of data for those pupils. And you should be able to say, this child has never really had an issue. They've always been in school where we've expected them to. There's nothing that we need to do, so they're fine. Um, but this other child is in year five. Well, you know, now they're fine. But in year three, they have this period of absence or they have this issue. In year one, they have this issue where well, you've got a picture of them over time. This is the thing which I work with schools and organizations a lot is to say, you should know a lot more about pupils who've been in your organization for several years than you do for those who've only been in one. And it's extraordinary how many schools still think about pupils as, as the latest photograph that they have of the child and maybe the last photograph they have of the child. So again, so think about a bigger picture. It's the same in a secondary school. You know, in, by year nine, year 10, you've got a lot of information. You should have a big picture of, of pupils. So you should know which pupils need support. Now, it might be with being in school and lots of schools. I'm a chair of governors of school. needs a lot of what we have to put a lot of work in for children to get them in, in school. So, so we do that. We have some children who need to be in class, focused and learning. So those kinds of things. So that's the thing which I think we can do much more with data now. We can, we can use the information to build pictures. So collect um, a, a relatively small amount of information will give you quite a good insight as to the challenge which an individual pupil has. So you can do that at pupil level, at class level, and then you make changes. And then there are other things which are probably not relevant for today, but the stuff which I work with schools on to say is, how do you actually make changes that, that, that have an impact? Uh, again, lots of schools work on an intervention model, but there's very little evidence to say that a lot of that inter um, intervention work is effective. Um, uh, and there are probably better ways of supporting pupils in school. You know, particularly when you think about real-time data, one of them is if a child hasn't been in class or in school, um, then, um, then we did a lot during the COVID lockdowns, but we could actually, um, set children work and monitor the work which they were doing independently effectively. And it would be useful to combine some of that with what we're doing now. So when a child's been out of school for a day or two, they come back in and there is a program to ensure that the key bits of learning, which, which they've not had access to, they then have access to. So there's things like that that we can do. Um, so again, I so say when I work with schools, it's, it's all about moving on from this progress and worrying about, you know, how, how many hoops have you jumped through? It's not that. It's who needs support and how do you get the support to? I also, it was interesting there that you, you talked about primary and then secondary. Mm. I wonder about that data link between the two. So I used to be a secondary teacher mm. and we would get these year sevens almost as these kind of new creatures. We didn't, even though there clearly were years and years of data on them. Mm. That, yeah, we just didn't receive. Is that different now? Well, you'd hope that it would be. You know, so in year seven, you should have access to 
Um, you know, those people's, because in primary, there's loads of statutory um, data. So there should be statutory data that you should have access to on their phonic screening check scores on currently their year one um, sets scores. Uh, uh, their year six sets, obviously you get. Um, and then as we move forward, the, um, the year four multiplication check. So you should be having, uh, you know, some of that information. I, ideally, you'd get even more information, uh, but you get into all kinds of issues to do with um, uh, with confidentiality and, and privacy and so on. Um, so yes, I think it is a bit difficult, but difficult. But we do have some statutory information that should be there. I mean, it's bad enough in in primary. Honestly, I work primarily in upper key stage two these days, um, and it's 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 extraordinary how often you don't know things that you should know. You know, you can have access to them, but it takes a long while to, to find information like a phonic screening check score, which you should be able to find easily and should be able to use easily. Okay, so moving on to hardware, um, I know like we brought up earlier, uh, a lot of schools are struggling with kind of out of date kit um, and that can be a challenge. Uh, Winston, how much do you think that's sort of hampering progress in this area that you've seen? I think if you directly, directly related to like, the topic of conversation and real time data, I think, I think we don't see a lot of it. I mean, we don't see you know, that hardware and investment really hampering because, because and, and it depends on your point, which side you're looking at it. Do could your schools need more investment in technology? Yes. Uh, is there is there a kind of less than they have before, as we talked about earlier? Yes, yes, there is. But it, but there's also then uh, upsides in lots of technology that we wanted to be able to do ten years ago is now commoditized and much uh, much easier easier to do, much easier to get hold of. And we again, uh, and for us as a software business, we're, we're able now to offer customer solutions that are small numbers of thousands of pounds versus versus the hundreds of thousands of pounds people would have spent on them developing the road in the past. So I think there is some, there is some change over the last 10 years that has driven to um, commoditization of, of the, the core platforms that allow you to consolidate data. I think the the bigger challenge that we see is the ability to get that data into some usable and consumable format. Um, I think quite often um, uh, the the good example of moving between primary and secondary schools. Well, well if if how do you how do you understand what the information that was put into a previous school and how does that relate to if if all your feeder primary schools are doing a slightly different approach, then the data loses some of its meaning if you don't understand if you don't understand how that was how that was all done so i think i think challenges around getting data into a um into a format that allows you to 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 do that cross check to do that cross matching of data is our biggest challenge certainly from from a data i think we mentioned it earlier just that, i mean one of this i said the issue with the hardware is that i said there just hasn't been that investment but some some schools have really invested in them and you can see how that um and that has paid off for them. Um, and I think the other thing is just looking at how we use um, how we use devices and so on. So uh, a lot of secondaries are finding that, that that they can tap into the fact that the majority of their pupils are bringing uh, mobile phones into school. It's a, a kind of live issue with how they manage that. Um, but a lot of schools are, are are finding that they can use that because. You know, we call them mobile phones, but effectively they're um, microcomputers. And those microcomputers have got a lot of, you know, they're, they're, they're very useful. Um, some of the schools I work with, they're finding that they're in primary, their year sixes are um, also carrying phones and therefore are able to use those for um, for some uh, for some tasks. So again, so it's thinking about that, moving things on uh, as, as, as you think, 
how do we harness the technology that we have and how do we use that well? Fantastic. Thank you. Okay, Derek, coming on to you uh, with the big question around the challenge of security around data. Obviously, if you've got this huge amount of information, really, really sensitive about young people, uh, what should schools be aware of? I think that one of the things that we do need to do is to improve um, people's understanding of, of, of data um, characteristics and improving data literacy. And what, my, what I mean by that is when, when there is a, a request for information about pupils or about staff, is is training people's first thought to think yes they might need this information but they need they need all of it can we anonymize certain aspects of this data to make it much more secure can we add in a you know a randomized uh, id field that only we know but we can track it back that way it's just about i think almost treating data as though it's your own data and you know what would you want to be in the public domain and one of the things i always try to do is put myself in in i am a parent but put myself in the shoes of the parent or of the child and say, would I reasonably expect my data to be, to be used this way? So I think that's something that as a sector, we've, we've, we've definitely got better on in, in the last 10 years. Anybody else want to come in on that one? I think, I mean, and I'm going to jump in just really, so I'll come back in a second. But, um, there, I mean, there's some serious issues out there because, because as we put more things onto particularly cloud computing and, uh, and um, we store more information on computers, computers were more at risk of that information than being not only um, hacked into or, or accessed or manipulated in some way, but also schools are finding them. So, you know, it's, it's not so much happened here, but in the States, and it's always interesting to see what happens in the States because what happens there often happens here. A lot of schools have, have found themselves being held to ransom. There's been a lot of ransomware demands that have happened, uh, that have been made, and schools and school systems have ended up having to to effectively buy themselves back into their systems, um, which is obviously, a, um, it's more of an issue for those who are, who are managing uh, data. Um, so Winston, I suspect we'll have things uh, to say about it, but certainly as, a, as somebody who works in schools, I'm aware of that. The fact that the information which we, which we store, the more we rely on, uh, I say, um, on uh, non-localized systems, so that you're putting things elsewhere, storing things elsewhere. If you can't get access to that elsewhere at some point, that may cause you a serious problem. So again, it's, it's something which you all need to be aware of. The security side uh, is certainly something, uh, oh, certainly all reputable software vendors take very seriously and, and, uh, there's lots of techniques and approaches and, and, and Microsoft and Amazon in, in the cloud, there is your and AWS clouds, um, take security very seriously and provide you lots of tools to do it. The weakest link has always been that even prior to cloud computing is human error and, and we all, uh, I think we're all old enough to remember the kind of uh, CDs with data on being left in the back of taxis and um, printouts being left uh, here, there, and everywhere, and 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 not not through any malice, but just through the fallibility of human nature. Um, and so, so that training piece, that I think, I think part of adopting a, a data across your estate and part of the um, transformation program that Richard's and, and Derek and I have spoken about is training your staff and making sure they're really aware of their obligations and the risks around data and, and having that compliance uh, piece uh, as part of the rollout of a data strategy, not not uh, as something that you do in hindsight once you've potentially been kind of caught in in, in a difficult situation. And Derek, I, I'll add to that and say that I have actually seen um, firsthand the impact of, of a cyber ransomware attack in my in my previous role, and uh, you know ultimately the, the the biggest victim there is the is the pupil, 
irrespective of whether there's been data loss, it obviously impacts on their learning and their experience in the schools. And um, what I would say is there are there are lots and lots of tools out there uh, now that education is starting to use. So like that web scanning, which is something that we use at ARC. Uh, give you a great example. We we were given given a um, a notification that uh, a pupil's account had been leaked onto the dark web. Uh, we were able to close that account down within 30, 40 seconds. And then for the next week, we were seeing uh, attempted in invasions from all around the world for people trying to get into that account. But because we were able to close it down so quickly because of those that tooling that we we we'd purchased, uh, we was able to prevent that attack. And that was only very, very recently. Uh, what I would say as well at ARC is we've, we've put um, um, a project management um, process into all into the purchasing of all of our software um, and what that does is it allows us to, as a central team to give some guidance and, and not take ownership but support with the ownership of the risk and to help make sure that when we do procure software we procure it properly it's it, our, we do our due diligence we do our research appropriately and we make sure like I said to that first point I made if we are sharing data with a third-party platform what data do we need to share to make it work? Not just not just give data away freely. Um, so we put those processes in place at ARC um, to, to remo- just in some way to remove that burden away from schools and and, and so that we can support them uh, the best we can. Okay, and Richard, I'll come to you first for this one, but I think I'll ask all of you. Um, if we look forward now, ten years, what do you think the data landscaping schools could and should look like? My first thought in, in terms of um, what it could and should look like for uh, for pupils, for teachers, is re- essentially it should be more efficient uh, and it should be more effective. So in terms of efficiency, it's about saying what is the key, what, what's the key information that we actually need to understand a pupil's journey through school. Um, so you're going to need some attainment um, uh, information. Uh, you should hopefully understand the um, limitations of some of that, but you're going to need some uh, attainment information. You'll probably uh, gather other bits of information that are, that are pertinent for the child. Um, secondary schools use a lot of uh, attitude to learning information, um, which I think is very valuable. Um, I think it's something that primary schools should consider um, using more because I think it is very useful to have a picture of a child over time to say, has this child always been focused on learning or if they had points where they dropped off, things like that behavior information which you have. Attendance information, again, you, you, it's information which you can pick up and, uh, and add to the picture of a child over time. But as I say, over time, it should become um, take less and less time to gather that information so that you're, you're looking to make it much more efficient in terms of the way which you gather information. There's always going to be some time uh, and effort cost um, uh, in, in terms of gathering and data. But I say it should become more efficient over time, and it should be more effective over time, so that um, so that what you're actually doing as a result of that all that collecting um, of information is actually working uh, well as well. It's actually doing something, and you can see that it's actually doing something. As I said earlier, it's about figuring out which of the of the, the, these pupils need support. There might be a class that needs support because it has a number of pupils in it that, that, that um, have had uh, a difficult journey through school. Um, could be a whole co- cohort, could be a whole school. If you're running a map, you will be able to see which of the schools just need more support and which of them need um, less support. Um, I say, what I would really hope that in 10 years' time, the data would help us to see what a lot of data helps us to see, which is that actually for most pupils are fine. Most pupils, if you look at attendance data, you know, most pupils are in school and it's not an issue. 
Um, uh, if you look at attainment data, most people are doing fine. It's not an issue. What we need to focus on are those pupils where, where um, we know that without support, those pupils are not likely to get where we would like them to get. So that's what I'd like to see, more efficient, more effective use of data. Lovely. Derek, yeah. what's your vision? I, I, I would agree with everything that Richard said. That I, the only thing I would add, um, which I'm sure he would agree, is as well as supporting the pupils, this is support staff as well. So when, when, they've, when, they, when they needed a bit of extra help, um, we can use data and analytics to help support them, particularly around sharing of best practice. Um, again, I'm, I, I, like I say, I completely agree with everything that Richard said, but I'm going to, I'm going to go slightly off the, the pupil aspect of things and say that I, I can probably see AI and machine learning becoming a factor in the next 10 years, probably not at the pace that people think. Uh, and I think that's probably going to be down to budgets, uh, and, and someone's going to have to really take the first step in making a real investment in that in that area uh, until other people follow. So obviously when I was at Harris and ARC and AET, as you said, and I think United Learning as well, probably the, the four big mats that really invested heavily in, in data analytics in the beginning. Um, it'll be interesting to see who takes that big leap into, into AI in the future. What I'd love to see is more data sharing between mats and all schools, not just mats, but local authorities as well. Um, not just sharing data, but sharing platforms, sharing analytics, sharing experiences. So, because ultimately, we're all in it for the same aim, and that is to improve life chances to kids. I don't, I don't believe that we're competitors. I believe that we're all, we're all in, in, in the same thing. And again, I think there will be a greater focus slightly on non-educational data. Um, so we've already spoken about like edu energy consumption, but then things like costs of paper, books, um, supplementary resources. Um, we actually spoke yesterday about food uh, and things like that, because that's becoming an increased, I think what someone told me 25 to 30% increase in food. And, and as many of you know, uh, at ARC, we have roughly 50% free school meal pupils. So, you know, that it, making sure that they get a good nutrition meal is, is incredibly important to us. Cost of supply, cost of curriculum effectiveness. Uh, again, all this has been linked back to, you know, the, what we would call the cost of living and lack of funding, uh, within education. And then um, one of my things that I'm quite excited about is, is potentially uh, whether or not we can bring data in from external agencies. So by that, I mean like um, the news or health or crime or traffic data so that we can start to proactively react um, to potential incidents. So if it's a traffic alert, we know that our people are gonna be late. So we might leave staff on the gate longer. If it's a crime or a health incident, we, we know that we need to have some, some pastoral support around that for our pupils and our, and our staff as well. So at the minute, I don't think that we're there yet with that, but I think that's quite an exciting potential in the next 10 years. Amazing. And finally, Winston, your, your vision for the future. Yeah, it's difficult when everybody's uh, everybody said <laughs> great ideas. Uh, we did quite a lot with matching COVID data. Uh, to real-time uh, kind of attendance data, and um, so I think I think lots. I don't think we'll be waiting ten years for lots of lots of what uh, Derek was just talking about. I think I think we're doing some of that now. We certainly pull in police and demographic data uh, alongside the benchmarking data that we have from DFE uh, and others now. I I think um, I think I think take a slightly different slant on it. Um, uh, one of the things that we are trying to do is learn from other sectors that have done data sharing really well. Um, there's um, there's there's some brilliant technology out there for things like uh, monitoring weather at home and having weather stations on home. And there's this there's this brilliant community that's built up around it that says, how do you realise that if you add this if this then that kind of uh, process to uh, tracking your weather, you can turn your lights on when it gets dark, or you can can change the temperature of your boiler and system. And, and what they're doing is they're sharing 
all of these little tips and techniques as a big community because it's a big collaboration exercise to uh, improve improve what's going on on that platform. And for us, that's a really big focus and uh, and something that we'd like to see really grow over the next five to ten years is that community element. That community of uh, actually we put these bits of data together, came up with this idea, went and tested it, and it made a difference. And then share that and 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 share it with the wider community to help others and make and see if it makes a difference for them and then use that to then drive better benchmarking going forward. So so for for me, for for everything that these guys definitely said, but driving that community element so that we get there faster and we get there together rather than rather than lots of individuals doing it and and having to wait for folks like us to get on a talk and talk about it. It's actually just there and part of uh, everybody's everybody's daily lives. That's great. Thank you so much. Uh, what a lovely note to end on. Thank you all very much. This podcast is sponsored by Iris Education, a leading edtech provider with a suite of products designed to help schools and trusts work smarter. Iris EdGen is their smart cloud-based management information system that lets schools make impactful decisions quickly by harnessing the power of real-time data. And for trusts struggling to make sense of their data, there's Iris Central a powerful reporting tool that consolidates and analyzes data from multiple sources into simple dashboards to inform decision-making, drive improvement, and grow your trust. Discover more at iris.co.uk forward slash education.